Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week on BYU Radio, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, every Saturday, to give you the very best in entertainment. The and best Cole, in entertainment news, the best in reviews, the best in anything going on, movie, TV, or music-wise in the world. right, Cole. I have a feeling that this is going to be one of our classic episodes. At least classy, I would say. Or classical. Ooh, we're going to talk about <laughs> classical music, folks, but that's all after we talk a little news. Right, and we are going to be joined by Eric Glissmeyer, who is the head of Classical 89, and uh, we're excited to talk to him and uh, class up the joint, but also have somebody that, that really knows their classical music to put us in our place. Cole. As opposed to us. Yes. But yes, as you said, we need to start with the best in entertainment news. Now, I saw a trailer recently that at first I was pretty excited about because it's a movie starring Harrison Ford. Okay. So Jeff is already in. Right. And we haven't gotten a lot of Harrison Ford starring movies lately. He's done little cameos here and there. We haven't gotten a lot of Harrison Ford trying in movies Right. But he is going to be in an adaptation of The Call of the Wild. The wonderful Jack London book, right? Sure. And so things are really clipping along, going well. You hear that that really deep old man voice of his that he has now that is just – it brings a smile to my face. That was perfect in The Secret Life of Pets 2. But then you see the dog. Speaking and of Secret Life of Pets 2. I'm too. not sure why they made this decision, but the dog is 100% CGI. They were so preoccupied with whether or not they could – they, they never stopped stop to think, think if, if they, they should. should. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I was so distracted through the entire trailer seeing Harrison Ford act opposite this cartoon dog. So I mean, it's supposed to be a real life looking dog. It's not. Oh. It's supposed to be a cartoon dog. I haven't seen the trailer. No, it's not like it's not like Looney Tunes cartoon, but it's like CGI that it looks cartoonish. But but are they trying? Is it just bad CGI? I don't CGI? even know. I don't even know. Interesting. But it's too bad because it looks like a great story, a great film. Uh, maybe maybe they'll give it the Sonic the Hedgehog treatment and take it back to the drawing boards a little bit. Which worked, by the way. It worked. Well, there's that. Some news that I'm extremely excited about, Cole. First of all... Noah Hawley. Does that name sound familiar to you? Nope, not at all. Hawley spelled H-A-W-L-E-Y. He created... As opposed to the Hawley and the Ivy. Yes. Or Hawley and Oates, I guess. Not quite. That was just Hall and Oates. Okay. Um, He created both of the FX series Legion and Fargo. He is going to write and direct the next Star Trek movie. Oh, yes. yes. I did know this because he also had uh, Lucy in the Sky with Dime, or just Lucy in the Sky. It was his directorial debut this year, and it was not very well received by audience or critics. So I've I've really enjoyed what he's put out. I am TV excited wise. for Fargo season four, which sounds like it has an amazing cast. You have this crime drama starring Chris Rock, of all people. Uh, there, I've, I've been seeing a lot of these comedians doing these serious turns and uh sometimes it really works so yeah the the punchline of it is there's going to be a fourth star trek in this new star trek used to be a trilogy and it's which not going to be quentin to tarantino about, or would it be well possibly mm. probably not if noah holly's directing it or writing it but the point is it's going to be a, the fourth movie in that Star Trek is on our trilogies bracket that you can click the link at the bottom of the podcast, decide who you think the winners are, who you think the best trilogy of movies is all time. And then we'll talk about it in December. I do really enjoy this Star Trek trilogy. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, That's about to be a forology. Yes, a forology. Nice term. Jeff, I have a piece of news for you. Really? 
the best in Jeopardy news. Last week, I brought you a, a good, wholesome piece of Jeopardy news, and guess what? There's Jeopardy news again this week, so I, I decided I'd go to a little effort and, and make a Jeopardy sound effect for us. They're going to have an ultimate tournament of champions with the three most winning contestants in Jeopardy history. Whoa. We're bringing back Brad Rutter and Ken, Ken Jennings again, as they often have been pitted head-to-head. What about the Vegas guy? This time now, James Holtzauer, who's new to the scene, gets to face off against those two Jeopardy legends. And when is it airing? I don't know. Oh. Well. It'll be soon. Okay. I actually don't watch Jeopardy, but that is something I would watch and will watch. That's what they're hoping to accomplish with all of these uh, little Jeopardy stunts. The Tournament of Champions did just conclude with James Holtzauer finishing up there, so now he's kind of moved on to the bigger fish to fry. Cole, we've got to talk about a big movie that is coming out next week, the week of Thanksgiving, and it's going to be big. I'm predicting it's going to be big. It is a film that has been highly anticipated. We had the opportunity to fill the entire theater with employees of BYU Broadcasting, and so it was packed People were excited, ready to have an absolute blast. And that was kind of the general consensus when the movie was over. I had several people come up to me and say, that movie was so much fun. Don't you agree with that, Cole? Knives Out was certainly a time at the theaters. Yes, it comes out on the 27th of November. First of all, I want to say this is a day or this is a time of Thanksgiving, Cole. I want to give my thanks to the marketing department for putting together this amazing initial trailer that they put out. One of the best trailers I've seen this year. This is the one that features Frank Sinatra's Till I Die and the tagline, A Who Done It Like No One's Ever Done It. Which is kind of true. Right. And it's it's kind of a it's kind of a blessing and a curse though, because when you're raising the expectations that high, you've got to deliver on that. And I, I want to say it mostly does, right? So this is Ryan Johnson's fifth film. The last one that he did was Star Wars The, the last, last Jedi. Jedi. And uh, it's about this patriarch of a wealthy family. Um, his name is Harlan Trump. Trombley. 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 Yeah. And uh, he's this mystery. Oh, Trump. Thrombly? Thrombly, yeah. It's been a couple weeks since we've seen this movie. (laughs) He is an author of, wouldn't you know it, murder mysteries. Appropriately enough. And he dies under very unusual circumstances, wouldn't you say, Cole? Yes, and more so the plot. The movie is really about deconstructing and and poking a little fun at the whodunit genre. Absolutely. Ryan Johnson got a lot of flack for the way that he approached the Star Wars universe and kind of the, the... places where he poked at it uh, to fans' chagrin. This is a little bit less of a revered genre, and it's not one particular movie that he's placing up there and just dashing full of holes. And so it's a little more fun to see him tear down the whodunit tropes and and story. Right. So Christopher uh, Plummer is Harlan Thrombley, and uh, he's died under mysterious circumstances. The patriarch of the family. Right. And so the police enlist the help of a private detective— Benoit Blanc, what a great name, played with a great glee by Daniel Craig, who's just clearly relishing the opportunity that he has to slap on this really thick southern accent. And uh, the cast is amazing, and it's so eclectic. If you were to look at the movie poster for this, you would say to yourself, I don't think I ever would have pictured these people all in one movie together. And so aside from Plummer and Craig, you've got Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Michael Shannon, and Frank Oz, of all people. Not to mention, really, the star of the show, which is Anna de Armas. That is right. And Frank Oz, I'm sure, is in this movie because he was also in The Last Jedi, directed by Ryan Johnson, when he played Yoda, if you're not familiar with the name Frank Oz. I, I will say that the language in this film is probably as strong as you can get in a PG-13 movie. I think I counted two and a half F-words. They've, they've really been like pressing the envelope of how many of the... It normally, it normally is just a very hard one that you get, and it's kind of... Right. It's fun for me to see where they put it and who they give it to and things like that. This one got away with it a little bit more, and other than that one particularly offensive word, they... 
use a variety of the other ones that you can use in PG-13 right. movies and a lot. <laughs> so the whole time I kept thinking, can I recommend this to my mother? I cannot in good conscience recommend oh, this certainly to my not mother. to my parents. But uh, it is a very fun and funny movie. And Cole, to, for me, the downfall of most murder mysteries is that once you know the solution or once you've solved the puzzle, there's not really a lot of reason to go back and visit the film again. They rely on the twist. This movie, I would think, is kind of an exception to that. I am so excited to see this again and once again in an audience full of people. I predict it's going to get a Best Original Screenplay Oscar nomination. Mm, nope. The nomination it will. It's so refreshing to see a movie that Jeff throws is not this around based on so anything often. else. I'm not sure if Jeff's actually ever seen the Academy Awards based on mm. what every single year he says, this will get this and this will get that. I would bet, I would I would put so much down that and this a, does not get a single Oscar nomination. A dark, oh come on. It'll get, it'll get a bunch of SAG Award nominations, for sure. Best Ensemble Cast. Absolutely. Nomination. And it should win. It should Eh. win, Cole. Okay, well, what else did you think about this film? So I certainly enjoyed it. It's a fun time at the theaters, and I laughed plenty, and I did enjoy the general just style that it presented itself in, but a lot of times I kept hoping that there'd just be a little bit more. You know, I, I thought I compared it a lot to Game Night of last year, mm. just a little bit more conventionally shot. It had a lot of the same humor and, and poking fun at things that that brought, but it didn't kind of have a bigger vision. And that's where I was kind of missing out. It was fun the first time, but I, I would argue, even though it doesn't rely on a twist, I'm not excited to watch it again and again and again because it just is any other movie. Well, Cole, I I might agree with you a little bit. This goes back to what I was saying about the trailer being so great that the high expe- the expectations were so high that it might be difficult to deliver on that. But uh, what I will say, Cole, is that this film is not what I expected it was going to be. But to tell you how it wasn't expected, or what, it, but to tell you how it wasn't what <laughs> no I expected spoilers. it to be, would be giving away too much. And just like every other murder mystery, to do that would be a crime. Aside from the crime yes. that was committed. Yes. Sure. I get you. It wouldn't be murder, but it would be a crime. I got exactly what I was expecting, which was a fun, goofy time at the theaters. There you go. And I, I do kind of recommend it. There you go. Well, another movie. This is a late review for a film that came out last weekend, and it didn't do very well. And I'm I'm scratching my head. I had to figure out and go see for myself why didn't it do very well. And how many people were in your theater, Jeff? Uh, Two other people. So So there were three of us total. Probably won't do great again this week. Uh, The film is Charlie's Angels. And overall, this is a so-so movie that it really works best when it's focusing on the capers that the angels are involved in. Okay, so uh, this movie establishes really early on that it's a continuation of the last Charlie's Angels movies uh, or movie that we got. Do you know what that is, Cole? Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Back in 2013, directed by Mick G. With a name like that, you know it's going to be a fun movie, right? Sure. Well, so the plot, when an inventor of an energy conservation device notices fatal flaws in the product... Her concerns lead to scoffs from her male superiors, then death threats. And it isn't long before she's under the protection of the angels. You know, Charlie's Angels. Thank you, So this is clearly a movie with an agenda. I mean, the opening shots of the movie show various women that are accomplishing difficult things. However, with everything that uh, that women go through socially and politically, you can totally understand why such a movie is being made and why it should be made, right? I just wish it would have had a better cast with better comedic timing. The jokes just seem off from the beginning, and you really start to pine for 2000s Charlie's Angels Uh, Starring Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and Lucy Liu, also directed by McGee. That film was funnier. It had better cameos. This movie stuffs all of its cameos into the ending credits. And uh, instead of delighting you, the audience member, you're more likely to just roll your eyes as they just continue to throw them at you. 
It's written, produced, uh, directed, and starring Elizabeth Banks, who has proven nice. she's funny in much better movies. It also stars uh, Kristen Stewart of Twilight fame. Naomi And S- other stuff now. No, It's no. been years, uh, Jeffrey. Naomi Scott, who was just Princess Jasmine in Aladdin. Also the hung out Aladdin. with Elizabeth Banks in Power Rangers. There you go. I didn't even know that. Didn't even know Elizabeth Banks was in that. Oh, she was hilarious. Uh, and Ella Belinska. I'm not really familiar with her work as well as Patrick Stewart. So Charlie's Angels. Again, it's a so-so movie. I felt from the very beginning like this is a dollar theater movie or a red box movie. If you can just go in there expecting that or just wait for the red box or the dollar theater, then I think you'll have a really good time. There's one more movie, one that's coming out this week called 21 Bridges, and we don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but I did go to see it just to see what it would be like. It's starring the Black Panther, and it's produced by the Russo brothers, and so a lot of people that are fans of the Marvel movies and kind of got into the the dark, grim tale that the trailer seemed to be telling us were excited to find out, is it going to be PG-13? Is it going to be R? Uh, They waited a very long time to tell us, and after seeing the final cut that will be in theaters... It's very R. It's much closer to Training Day than it is any other goofy kind of cop thriller. Uh, Tells the story of a dirty police detect uh, police kind of precinct uh, and the one detective that wants to be true to the badge and take him down. Yes, all while a lot of other tension is going. Like, isn't that Serpico? Or a lot of other movies. Okay. But yeah. you have you have Chadwick Boseman as the one good cop uh, trying to find and take down a, a cop killer that goes on a spree. Uh, it's, it's very interesting and very high tension, but it, you feel... I kept feeling during the course of the movie that there were many places where they had a PG-13 cut of the movie and they had an R cut. And it's mm. not like it was close, but they just went with the R version because there is... A lot of swearing, a lot of blood, a lot of explicit violence where you felt like they could have taken a lot of that out and made just a crowd pleaser kind of fun movie that people could go to. This probably won't do great at the box office because it's cutting out a lot of your Marvel people that were kind of excited to see something different. Well, yeah, and you're not going to go see this film with your family at Thanksgiving. Absolutely not. Well, thanks for that, Cole. When we return, we're going to be speaking with Eric Glissmeyer from Classical 89 about classical music in movies. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. It's a twisted web. We are not finished untangling it, not yet. What is this? CSI KFC? three kinds of music on this Fantasia program. First, there's the kind that tells a definite story. Then there's the kind that, while it has no specific plot, does paint a series of more or less definite pictures. Then there's the third kind, music that exists simply for its own sake. Now, the number that opens our Fantasia program is music of this third kind. My goodness, wouldn't it be nice if when you're experiencing classical music in movies, you had somebody sitting there with you to explain the theory and the history behind this wonderful music that uh, we love and we know from so many movies over the years, right, I recognize when violins or trumpets or timpanis or whatever start sounding, but I don't know what the titles of the songs are or who wrote them or when they happened and that's why we have invited in Eric Glissmeyer of Classical 89 Howdy. to help us be here. To the show. So what sparked this idea Eric is it seems like there's this this overwhelming theme in movie trailers lately where I don't know if it's to lend credibility mm. or if it's just to juxtap- juxtapose something really violent or uh, high octane with something that's very calm and serene in the form of classical music. But we're seeing and hearing a lot of classical music in movies we have for many, many decades. And so we wanted to talk to you about some of our favorite classical music uh, from movies over the years. And we're hoping that you can help us learn a little bit more about the the history behind these songs. 
So, Cole, we came in here with a little explanation from the film Fantasia, a favorite of yours, right? Yeah, I pulled that little clip from Fantasia 2000, actually. That's how the second one begins, by showing us something from the first one. Fantasia is an acquired taste, I'll put it that way. (laughs) But I think we all have a favorite song from Fantasia, if we can remember it. Jeff, yours is kind of the... The Sorcerer's Apprentice, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, well, I think that's probably everybody's favorite. Right. Um, <laughs> it's the best standalone piece. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't need to watch the whole movie to get it. I mean, I guess all of them can kind of stand alone, but uh, it's, uh, it's a great one. And it tells – it's one of those where he describes it tells a story on its own, and classical music does that sometimes. The actual piece of Sorcerer's Apprentice – is it wasn't it like a part of a opera or something? No, where it's no, supposed to ac- tell a story. No, actually. So, so what it is? It's it's something that they call a tone poem. Ooh, okay. Mm. A tone poem is simply a piece of classical music that really does intend to tell a story. Um, it's it's usually based on on something like, for instance, this one was was based on a um, a poem by Goethe, the famous mm-hmm. German poet. Okay, uh, he wrote the poem in 1797. Um, and and Dukas, D-U-K-A-S, some people will say Dukas, but he actually pronounced it Dukas. Hmm. French, French names you can never rely on. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there are French rules of pronunciation, but when it comes to surnames, all rules are out the window. So yeah. Paul Dukas is the name of the composer, and he, he based this on that poem and apparently was— was pretty faithful to the poem huh. in, in telling the story. It's interesting that we're talking about music that, that tells a story because the uh, the idea that I had when this theme came up was my mind went straight to Sleeping Beauty, the 1959 Walt mm. Disney yes, film. Yes, right. Because I like to tell people that this is a film that really tells the the bulk of the story with Tchaikovsky's music, the Sleeping yeah. Beauty suite, or the, I'm sorry, the it's a ballet. The, it's a, yeah, the, it's the a, a full length ballet. ballet and they, yeah. they, there's when you mention a suite, you, usually a suite is a shortened version of the ballet that, yeah. that's usually played in a concert hall or something yeah. like that. So and there's there's not as much dialogue in this film as there would be in another Disney film. So I love yeah. how the music really tells the story in that film. I also love how how they add words to the music. Which which I think is quite brilliant. Yes. You know, it, it sounds like those were songs that were written not just with music, but the words were always a part of it. They Once fit Upon so a Dream. Well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, those are two movies that we love. Cole, another film that just has such a commanding score to it, but it's a score that was it was not written for the film. It was music that has been around for quite some time, right, Cole? Wait for it. There it is. <laughs> 2001 A Space Odyssey. This was such an ambitious movie itself because you're basically telling the history of man, right? Right. So what better piece of music than this? So what can you tell us about this, Eric? Well, first of all, this, this is it comes from a 30-minute work, which is called Also Sprach Zarathustra, Thus Spake Zarathustra. That's actually the title of a of a um, of something that was written by Friedrich Nietzsche. It's a philosophical novel, and and so Strauss is is using that again. This is what they call he called a tone poem, and so he's he's each of the movements sort of tells a little bit of a story that comes from the book. This first one that is so famous is called Sunrise, and perfect for. A space movie, right? Yes. Sunrise. Yeah. And, and I just think it sounds so um, prophetic almost or primeval or like something big is going to happen mm-hmm. here. And so, that mm-hmm. all works so well with the themes of 2001. Yeah, right. Those primeval, Sunrise, those are all the visuals that we get yeah. when Stanley Kubrick shoots it and gives us this grand story. It's not the only piece of classical music in the score. Uh, one that even I can recognize is called uh, The Blue Danube which is just a very graceful-sounding oh, yes. thing while we're just in the vacuum of space and, right. and the space station is kind of turning around and we just kind of see this dancey-sounding music. It, it makes it... It, make, it, it lends a, an air of elegance to yeah. the... To Majesty, the, yes. Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and to think of the space ballet. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, the... 
both of those uh, have been heavily spoofed from in all sorts of movies sure. and television shows. <laughs> uh, so when you played that one, Cole, my mind went to The Simpsons, where Homer is an astronaut and he's opened this bag of potato chips that have gone everywhere because of the zero gravity. And so he's going around chomping at da-da-da-da-da. Chomp, chomp, right. chomp, chomp. Yeah. At some point, this classical music gets so ingrained in us that, that we can't even remember the names of it, right? Just our, sure. your average person mm-hmm. that isn't on the radio talking about classical music every single day can probably recognize a lot of these themes, but they don't know what they're called. For example, uh, we've got another one here. Oh, I can just picture a Victorian dance. Cole, would you but please pass... Who the heck knows what it is? Would you pe- <laughs> please pass the Grey Poupon? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> well, my it, good sir. It is very elegant music. Um... It's by Boccherini. It comes. It actually comes from a string quintet that he wrote toward the end of the 1700s. So often you'll see that music used uh, in in that time period, a Revolutionary War period in America, or something like that. Yeah, and you know, I, I stumbled upon this website that that helped us identify all the movies that these songs creep up in. And listen to some of these. So, again, this idea of something that is supposed to be perceived as elegant and majestic and fancy in movies that, you know, are anything but, right? (laughs) So you've got Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. You have Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You've got a couple of Coen Brothers movies. It was the in this is Proxy. Spinal Tap. This is yeah. Spinal Tap. Okay. So, and yeah. as you mentioned with The Simpsons, it's also in Family Guy as well when they want to kind of, again, poke fun at something. They use this piece it, of it's, music. It's nice when they can can do something ironic like that where, where whatever's on the screen does not match what the music is really all about. Yes. And Eric, I mean, wouldn't you agree that this isn't this isn't necessarily poking fun at the music? If anything, this is giving honor and praise to this wonderful music. Sure, yeah, of course, yeah, flattery, right? <laughs> okay, so the next one on our list that we want to be sure to talk about is this soundtrack for this movie used these couple of songs to great effect, not only for the movie, but for the soundtrack sales. They went through the roof. Now, a lot of people might know and love the soundtrack to um, Saturday Night Fever for the Bee Gees contribution to that movie and the soundtrack, right? But uh, there are also a couple of tweaks of classical songs that made their way onto the soundtrack, and let's hear some of those, Cole. Sounds normal so far. Mm-hmm. Right? There we go. So we will (laughs) occasionally play classical music on Sundays, and my kids love listening to it. It's very calming. But just as a gag, we turned this on. We played it off of YouTube. (laughs) They thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. They were dancing and running around the room. They had a wonderful time. And John Travolta, as well as many others, they boogied out to this song in Saturday Night Fever. Well, and that was on the radio a lot. I grew up, yeah. you know, during that time period. I was a teenager when disco was was king, and yes. you turn on the radio every day during this time, and this would come up. And so it was it was definitely in pop culture. And uh, there were there were other things that were also discoized. I mean, um, from from Star Wars, there was the first Star Wars film. There was a, an album called Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk, which I owned. Are you and, on, on a record? Yes. Oh, my goodness. And, and it's available on, on, like, Apple Music and Spotify now. If you look it up, Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk, you'll get the same disco treatment of the Star Wars music. Can I just say your timing is perfect because just before you came in here, I said, Cole, you've got to hear this. I found it on YouTube as I was looking up all these discoized versions of classical songs. And that was you one of them. It? Oh, 15, awesome. it was, the piece was 15 and a half minutes yeah, long. Yes, it is. Oh, my goodness. They excerpted it for radio. but And getting back to that piece uh, that you mentioned from 2001, A Space Odyssey, they also have a disco version of that in a film called Being There with Peter oh. Sellers. Ah. Are you familiar with that film no, at all? Not, not at so all. So he is a man that his entire world is gardening and whatever he sees on television. So he's played by uh, Peter Sellers. 
and it's just this very innocent, uh, doesn't have anything to say unless he's, you know, quoting something from that he saw on television or something that he knows from the garden. <laughs> and this, uh, the person that he was the gardener for and the butler for dies. And so he has nowhere to live and he kind of just makes his way out into the world. And that is the song that is being played, the disco version of that, because the movie came out in the 70s or 80s, huh. I can't remember. They're also creative with the names, right? This is Beethoven's fifth that it's riffing on. And oh, my they goodness. Call it this is great. A fifth, fifth of, of Beethoven. Beethoven. Yes. <laughs> there was also A Night at Bald Mountain, which is a great song from Fantasia and very epic and kind of gets me <laughs> yes, in yes. almost a Halloween kind of spooky yeah, but dark. monsterous mm-hmm. mood. Uh, they had A Night at Disco Mountain. Can't even. You probably don't believe me when I tell you how big of a smile I have on my face right now, <laughs> Eric. You don't know this about me, but I am like way behind in the times. I don't listen to anything new. In high school, I was listening to oldies music. I was, which you know, fifties okay. and sixties. Okay, I was going to say because when I I realized I was getting old when suddenly the oldie <laughs> station started playing the music I grew up with. So. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I I love love disco music. In fact, I think my favorite disco song comes from this soundtrack, and it's uh, Disco Inferno. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'm loving this. I I think I, I this makes me want to go buy a turntable and then go out and buy the Saturday Night Live Fever uh, or Saturday Night <laughs> Fever, Fever sure. LP, right? Yes. Oh, my goodness. One of my favorite classical songs ever is probably my favorite because of a movie, but it's not its not totally in its purest version there. There's an organ symphony number three. Yes, that by was, Saint-Saëns yeah, as the composer. It was in the movie Babe, and I love, 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 love for just a talking pig movie. I didn't I know this. the movie Babe, but they, again, put words to it and kind of mm-hmm. jazzed it up a bit. Mm-hmm. If I had words to spend the day with you. Yeah, and, and you get don't you get to hear the mice singing it in their Where little squeaky really voice? Speak- it too. Up, yeah, yeah, really, really, really fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that's one of my favorite films too. And um, I was, it, it came out when I was kind of new in this job here at Classical eighty nine, and so we were all excited here and as a staff, you know, that they were using this 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 music in that movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's very clever. It's interesting because had this had that movie come out decades earlier, it probably could have had a shot at an Oscar because there used to be a category it where did. an orchestration. Oh, it did get nominated. It was nominated I mean, for best as picture. Best picture. Yeah. No, 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 no. I meant the, the <laughs> oh, music. Oh, the, the music. music. Oh, okay. yes, because there used to be a category for an orca- an orchestration that was based on material that had previously oh been goodness, written. Oh, my I didn't know that. Yeah, so that would have been a shoe-in. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, so let's talk about some of these movies now that contain classical music that it's so common to hear it in these types of movies or a certain franchise itself that people from here on out will probably associate that music with this movie. And one prime example is this. Merry Christmas. Oh, you've got to know that that is from the movie Die Hard, right? The A great first Christmas Die movie. Hard. <laughs> yes, yes. People love to remind you that, oh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie because everybody wants an excuse to watch Bruce Willis fighting <laughs> off these German terrorists. See, I have a different movies-related memory to Ode to Joy, Be- uh, oh, Beethoven's, Beethoven's yeah, Ninth yeah, exactly. Symphony. Exactly, it's the last movement yeah, sure. from that symphony. Um, Whenever I was a kid, there was a commercial on for Stars, which was a movie channel. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they used movies, 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 oh, movies. That's right. Movies, movies, movies. I'd forgotten that. Well, that's what I remember Beethoven's Ninth Part. So, so obviously, it's a very joyous piece. The whole thing is it really, it's got words to it in this, in this symphony, which was quite unusual for the time. Beethoven was one of the first major composers to actually use a, a chorus and vocalists in, in a symphony. And, and it's this tribute to joy and freedom. Well, it later became a tribute to freedom when the Berlin Wall fell. There was a big mm. concert given later that year uh, where the Berlin Philharmonic uh, under Leonard Bernstein played this symphony, and they 
changed the words to Ode to Freedom, Andi Freiheit instead of Andi Freude. Yeah. So I have memories of that too. And it is, it is a, a, a exultant music. And you've got to remind me, though, how it's used in Die Hard. And wh- why, why is it appropriate in, so in there? In so this, in this scene that we're listening to, you have the terrorists opening up this vault. And I can't remember if it's – I can't remember what's inside the vault. But it just echoes the feeling that these German terrorists are having that – Oh my goodness! This is their treasure. We are yeah. rich, and it's yeah. at that point in the movie where we've been building up to that so much, and we kind of just zoom back and pan down a little bit. And when the vault opens, just this red glow that comes oh, out of okay. it is like okay. we've finally reached the pinnacle. And this is the bad guys that we end up kind of rooting for for just a second because the <laughs> music builds us to that. Because well, the music, and because of Alan Rickman, whom everybody oh, yes. loves, no matter whom or what role he has in a movie. I'm glad you mentioned the the Ode to Freedom. Mm-hmm. Bit. Um, there's another piece of classical music that I associate really, really with a movie more than the music itself. The 1812 Overture will always be tied to V for Vendetta for me oh, really? because of the way they use it, again, historically as part of that gunpowder toil and plot uh, that really happened with Guy Fox. But. Yeah. You know, I understand that in Die Hard as well that the, the composer used that music um, throughout the film in different, sort of different versions. And I think I think it's being played on a string quartet even when the terrorists first make their entrance. And the, they're having a Christmas party, a party. At, at this okay. office building. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I really do feel like people associate this song with Die Hard as well as the expletive that we can't share on the uh-huh. air. People associate that with Die Hard. yippee Mr. Falcon. Yes, that's the TV <laughs> edit. But I'm so glad that you're here to give us the backstory of these songs because it really would be sad if we were to go on the streets and, you know, ask people, what what is this from? And I'm sure so many people would say Die Hard, Die Hard but they yeah. wouldn't be able to give us the, the backstory that you've given us here today, Eric. So we're going to test your knowledge just a little bit All more. Right. We've been talking about classical music used in movies and via IMDb and one very intrepid person that went and cu- uh, curated this list, someone has found out which composers have been credited to the most number of film scores. Oh, how f- th- this is fun, I have to say. I-, I-, I wish I were that person that could have gone and done the research. Yeah. So I hope he was paid well. Let me, well, well <laughs> I'm sure he, totally did it, he did it himself. <laughs> His name is Jim Patterson, and he himself is a composer and arranger. Okay. And uh, yeah, as Cole said, he just scoured IMDb and and uh, found out how many credits on IMDb these composers had. <laughs> the answer isn't John Williams or Hans Zimmer. It's folks where we keep using their right. classical music over and over okay, again. Okay. And uh, uh, there are only eight of these names, and we want to see how many of these eight you can guess. And once you guess them, we'll tell you how many credits they have on IMDb. Okay. Sound so you good? want to just start naming composers? Sure, in any any particular order you want. Okay, okay good. Um, well, I will start with Beethoven. Okay, Beethoven is number three on the list with 1,828 credits. So many movies. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my next guess is Mozart. Mozart is the number one answer oh, wow. with 2,071 credits. It probably helps that he racked up like 10 or 12 credits you know, on Amadeus alone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely helped. Um, okay, my next guess is Wagner. He's number two. Okay. This is going swimmingly, <laughs> I, I should add. 1,894 credits. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people think of Apocalypse Now with the Ride of the Valkyries. Right. Uh, and lots of others, too. Um, how about Claude Debussy? You know, um, no. He's not on the list. Which is interesting because that's one that we didn't play, and that's one that is so heavily used in film that now when you hear it, unfortunately, you kind of roll your eyes because it's just used everywhere. It's cliche, maybe. Yeah. I still love it. I've never never grown tired of it, actually. It's it's one of the most beautiful scenes in the film Ocean's Eleven Mm -hmm. when they've, they've done their heist and they're just sitting there Enjoying this water fountain, the, the and you hear this song. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned it. No, Debussy. Okay, not Debussy's on not. the list. All right. Um, how about Johann Strauss Jr.? Uh, yes, number seven okay, with 1,227 credits. All right. Yes. Uh, my next guess is Antonio Vivaldi. No, no, unfortunately, really? which the is four surprising. seasons. I'm I know, surprised. right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, he's not one of them. How about Rachmaninoff? Also, no. 
No. But uh, there's a Rachmaninoff uh, reference in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory that I'll always remember. I don't remember Because it's a, it's a musical combination that he has to the chocolate room. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's Tchaikovsky. Uh, Tchaikovsky is number five with 1,535 credits. Okay. So I only got, how many did I, did I get right? I think right? you missed Maybe three. Five okay. out of eight. So you're missing Bach okay. with 1,720. Um, did we mention Brahms? Is he on there? The other B, Beethoven, no. Bach, Brahms? Oh. Chopin okay. was. Oh, uh, Chopin, of course. <laughs> that yeah. was number six with 1,279. And then coming in at number eight with 1,209 credits, Mendelssohn. Now, who is Mendelssohn? Well, he's a German composer who, um, his Italian symphony, I can picture that that would have been used a lot. Uh, Violin concerto is also very famous, but I'm really kind of surprised. I mean, Mendelssohn's music is fantastic and very well loved, but but, um, yeah, that surprises me. I would never have guessed that. That would never have come up, come come to my mind. Well, if you're in the mood for classical music and you know a little bit more than Jeff and I, Classical 89 is having a... A celebration of the end of the year by yes. compiling a little list. Yes, so uh, we ha- we're we're doing a, uh, a listener's top fifty. We'll count them down the, starting the day after Christmas, and uh, up until December eighth, people can vote for their their top five favorites, preferably in your your order of preference. And uh, the, you, you send an email to classical eighty nine. It's all one word: classical eighty nine at byu.edu. I can't wait to hear vote. that. And now, I'm going to vote for some that I probably love because of the movies more than the music. Well, but I'll be voting too. <laughs> you'll you'll be doing that as as a lot of people will. Movies I'm, are great for I'm, classical music. I'm guessing we can't slip in any of the disco versions of these songs, though, right? <laughs> I probably won't schedule okay. that on our station. I'll listen to those in private. I'm they excited. Are kind of fun. I'm going to tune in. So once again, those dates are the date is the day after Christmas. The day after Christmas is when we'll start doing the countdown. Um, the the uh, deadline for your vote is. December 8th. Okay. Classical 89 at byu.edu. Super fun. And as we go out, uh, we appreciate Eric for coming and joining us. Uh, I just want to play one of my favorite classical pieces with some updated words as well from the Looney Tunes. With my spear and magic helmet. Your spear and magic helmet. Spear and magic helmet. Magic helmet. Magic helmet. Magic helmet. Yes. Magic helmet, and I'll give you a sample. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning, and thank you once again to Eric Lissmeyer for coming into the studio and guiding us through the world of classical music through our movie lens. Uh, And I would like to thank Jeff for letting me go on a little bit of a monologue here. You got me monologuing! About things that I love about music and movies, uh, mainly about classical music. One of my favorite things that movies can do is let us hear something different from what we are seeing. They call this soundtrack dissonance where beautiful classical music can be playing in the background while we are seeing something that doesn't quite match that. And and I really enjoy that, but it's also fun when things match up really well, and this can be a really cool learning moment for kids. You know, as you learn to understand and decipher what's going on on the screen, you can use audio clues to tell you what's going on, and I remember when I was a young child, I had a little listen-along cassette to a story told with classical music, and it's called Peter and the Wolf. The really cool thing about Peter and the Wolf is that it lines out very simply what you're hearing to what the story is telling. Everyone knows that whenever you hear bom, 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 ba, bom, 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 we know Darth Vader is about to walk into the room, or da 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 Indiana Jones is going to whip and slide into the scene all heroically. Uh, But those are just the kind of leitmotifs that are tied to those characters. If Peter and the Wolf goes a little bit further, they use instrumentation and themes and the music that goes along with it to tie the characters to a specific sound in our brain. And a lot of times the narration will even open up before the story even gets into it by explaining that for you. Peter is played by the string section of the orchestra. 
Very beautiful, very serene, and Peter is our hero. He's the guy that we're going to root for, as opposed to that big bad wolf. The wolf is played by three mean horns. So if you're looking for something to listen along with your kids and to kind of introduce them into the world of using all of your senses, well, at least the hearing and the seeing, when you're watching movies or participating in media, I think Peter and the Wolf is an amazing place to start. Because a lot of movies, a lot of good movies, do use the soundtrack and themes within it to convey something and to, to guide us through it. And Peter and the Wolf does it in a, an educational way with a story along with it. So the next time your kids are clamoring for the latest Avengers or Marvel movie, you can teach them a little lesson. Because yes, the Avengers theme is really cool, but we all know when we heard that 70s rock music that Peter Quill and the Guardians of the Galaxy were coming around the corner, and we know that because of themes and because what classical music has taught our brains to expect from a good movie soundtrack. got to do a panning for good that focuses on Thanksgiving movies, right? Let's give thanks. Yes, I'm giving thanks to a very unlikely candidate, Cole, and I you're probably going to scoff, roll your eyes, or uh, just stare at me in bewilderment when I tell you what the film is. Probably, because I can only think of one Thanksgiving movie, so if it's not that one... Oh, planes, trains, and automobiles? Yeah. No, uh, although I do love that film and do plan on watching it this year. No, I am talking about a film that that focuses on Black Friday. And when it's Black Friday, a lot of people tend to go to the mall. And if you're going to the mall and you want to feel safe, you want to make sure that Paul Blart, Mall Cop, is there. Keeping his eye on you. Have you ever seen this film? No, of course not. Okay. I mean, neither had I. (laughs) And I would have had that same reaction if you had told me to go out and see Paul Blart Mall Cop. This is an Adam Sandler produced PG rated film. How many times have you ever heard that sentence, Cole? Not often. PG uh, rated film that's produced by Adam Sandler starring... Kevin James. As Paul Blart Mall Cop. Absolutely. He takes his job. Is it actually around Thanksgiving? Yes. Takes his job very seriously. Sports a no-nonsense mustache. This is a man who is very good at, well, very good, I should use loosely. He's very dedicated to his job as a mall cop. He would prefer, though, to be a police officer. However, he keeps failing the, the test, even though By all accounts, it looks like he's just about to pass the physical exam, you know, doing all these crazy wall flips and running along with the rest of the guys, the fastest guys, except he also suffers from narcolepsy (laughs) and tends to fall asleep at the most inopportune times, in this case, during his police officer exam. Sad. So he's resorting to being a mall cop, but he's still a very good person, a very dedicated father, too. So all good things, Cole, being good at your job or being dedicated to your job, I should say, because if it's Kevin James, you know that there's going to be mishaps and bumblings and physical comedy, right? You got to try hard at what you do. Wouldn't you know it? Everybody makes fun of him throughout the movie, but when his services are actually needed... 
It takes place on Black Friday when a bunch of skateboarding criminals are trying to steal a bunch of money from the mall over which Paul Blart Mall Cop、uh, resides, and you 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 just fall in love with this character, especially when he says you know things like. Not in my mall, you know. And there's actually a, a funny running gag with his supervisor, who really wants to have a good zinger. You know how there are really good zingers in these types of movies, one-liner, right? And so he's got this notebook and is like writing, is like workshopping ideas for good zingers that he can use. And、uh, oh my goodness, there are some really colorful characters in this film, and you can't help but laugh. And fall in love with Kevin James and Paul Blart Mall Cop Cole, folks. That's this... four minutes on Paul Blart Mall Cop that I never thought we would spend Cole, on this program. Now spend ninety minutes watching this、I、film because it totally it came out of left field for me and put a smile on my face. I've got a small panning for good for you as well. Okay, again, special for Thanksgiving. It's kind of the forgotten holiday between Halloween and Christmas, and Charlie Brown has a forgotten special between the Great Pumpkin and a Charlie Brown. Christmas called a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving、okay. that my family often watches around this time. I know that your family is not a huge fan of this, but so many others are, and I will be watching a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, wholesome and fun for the whole family. I remember the song in that movie. I don't remember the movie itself, but I remember, it was like. Turkey time is here. No,、nope, not quite. Happiness and cheer. For some reason. Jeff was hurt as a child and no longer feels joy and can enjoy Charlie Brown anymore.、Uh, He's if, great. If you need evidence that I do find joy in life, then just rewind back to a minute ago、Paul、when、Blart. I talked about Paul Blart. That's Mall true.、Cop. Yeah, you might have to be in the right mood for that film because it's dumb fun. Like it's a dumb movie. Don't get me wrong, but it sure is fun. There you go. Anyway, just a couple of Thanksgiving options for you as you celebrate with your families, loved ones, friends, and we hope that you do have a happy and fantastic Thanksgiving. We're going to be coming back next week with it is a a replay of our sports movie bracket. We want to get you ready for our trilogies bracket that will be coming up the second weekend in. December, and so as Jeff and I are spending time with our families for Thanksgiving, we'll play、uh, the second part of our sports bracket, where we determined the greatest sports movie of all time. But be sure to tune in because we'll also have another、uh, movie review or two that you'll definitely want to check out before you head to the movie theaters this holiday season. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. We're here each and every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on BYU Radio. You、Or、can anytime on the podcast. That's right. We'll see you next time on Screen Cleaning. <laughs>